The Contenders is a proud member of the Cage Club Podcast Network. For other great shows about movies and pop culture, go visit cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome to The Contenders, the show about the movies made by and starring women who refuse to play by the rules. I am Tobin Addington. And I'm Aislinn Addington. And I hate everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's Christmas. How oh, can you hate everyone? Right, I'm sorry. Merry Christmas. I love you all. And I hate you. <laughs> so, um, one of the reasons that I, there may be a lot of reasons that she hates you. One of the reasons she hates you is that the movie that we watched for this episode is one that was chosen via poll by our Twitter followers. Our dear friends on Twitter. And you know how I've loved Twitter up until this point. <laughs> if Aslan ever goes back to Twitter after this, it will be a miracle. She was hanging on by a tenuous thread, and you may have pushed her over the edge. Aslan, what movie are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about The Babadook. The Babadook. Yep. So here's what it is. I guess I got confused, Twitter. I thought we knew each other. And if you know me, you know like two and a half things. Number one, no throwing up or talking about throwing up near me. That's Num- true. That's true. That's been a long standing one. Yeah. Number two, no dogs dying. <laughs> no. Especially violent. Oh my God. I can't speak to that because yeah, okay. I did not watch that scene. <laughs> okay. It was it was not pleasant. And yes. <laughs> it was not a gentle passing. <laughs> God. Yes, Twitter. I understand there is a website. Does the dog die? I looked it up once because I thought, wouldn't this be a way to make my millions? <laughs> um, it does exist. And, and I get that. I just guess I was naive. And I thought... Twitter friends were real friends. <laughs> yeah, she she mistook social media for for love and friendship. <laughs> but I understand the world better now. I'm wiser. And I have watched this film. I'm taking it this is the first time you watched this movie. It is. I had heard of it and thought not for me, but I didn't know just how much it wasn't for me. Um so yes, I watched most of it. <laughs> Tobin, what is your uh, history with this film? I really wanted to see this movie when it came out, but I did not. So one Thanksgiving, it came up for like four bucks on Amazon on the DVD. And so I bought it and it sat on my shelf until this week when I unwrapped when you let it. let it in. <laughs> yes, when, I, when the, I knocked three times and I let it in. And uh, so, yeah, I had not seen it before. I knew about it and I knew I read some interviews with Jennifer Kent, the director, and I I sort of knew about the movie, but I had never seen it until this week. Yeah, we're both the same on that. Mm -hmm. Um, Here's another reason this is going to be fun, folks. I recently had laser eye surgery (laughs) and I'm still very blurry. So I'm going to lean in close um, and ask Tobin to uh, 
tell us two bits of film history. You see, we are recording in the same place. We are. In case you haven't noticed, we are in, say, in the same, if it sounds different, it's because we're crowded around the same microphone in my son's bedroom. <laughs> you know, as you do. As you do. High, high class. High um, class here. So, Tobin, please tell me more about this film. <laughs> Okay, a couple things. One, the, the writer-director Jennifer Kent trained as an actor first. She talked about wanting to be, she wrote plays when she was in elementary school and uh, didn't really know that, you know, didn't know about directing as a possible profession. And so, or, or that maybe it didn't feel like it was open to her. Uh, and so she trained at a very prestigious drama school in Sydney, Australia. And uh, the other bit of, uh, of film history is that she, uh, uh, Jennifer Kent and Ezzie Davis, the woman who's the lead in the movie who plays the lead in the movie were friends before the movie and there's a there's an interview with davis where she says she talks about not being sure she wanted to play amelia <laughs> she read the script she thought because her because uh, jennifer sent it to her and she read it and thought it was um too scary and would be too difficult to confront emotionally uh, what the character has to go through which i think is Island's <laughs> yeah i i agree and i can um relate to that there are things Tobin, that you have sent me that I want to support you and all your endeavors, but that have been too scary for me to confront emotionally. So I get it. Essie, <laughs> I, I get that you went there. Sometimes I can't. I'm not as strong as you. So um, speaking of these amazing women, let's talk about them. Let's talk about them. Let's I name who, them. Who are the ladies in charge? Women involved in major roles in The Babadook. Writer-director Jennifer Kent. Lead actor Essie Davis. Producers Christina Satan. <laughs> Is that right? I don't know. It's so hard to C- read. C e y t o n, Satan. <laughs> so you y'all don't understand. This is so hard to read. Um, Christian Moliere, Julie Byrne, and Jan Chapman. Oh, Very that good. Better. That's good. That's good. Okay, so um, we know for show that um, our mama is not going to watch. No, this. I hope not. So hope let's not. tell folks who um, don't have to go through this as I did what it's about. Amelia, played by Essie Davis, is a single mother whose possibly disturbed and increasingly violent son Samuel, played by Noah Wiseman, is being haunted by a mysterious monster from an equally mysterious children's book called The Babadook. As both mother and son struggle to sleep and then to survive, the story eventually finds its roots in the day Samuel was born nearly seven years ago when his father died in a car accident while driving Amelia to the hospital while she was in labor. Demons are faced and incorporated into life and mother and fun and mother and son eventually find some measure of peace. With a monster living downstairs. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds that sounds about right. That's what I is that what you saw? That's what I saw most of. Yeah. Um, so let me just be very clear. I don't hate this movie. Oh, interesting. I hated the experience of watching this movie. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I think what you and I might agree on is that it is a very well made film, mm-hmm. and um, the performances are profound and outstanding. Mm-hmm. It um, it would it. Um, reminded me of most vividly was Room because similarly it's a uh, mother and son who without their chemistry, I don't know if that's the right word, without their um, relationship, um, it would all fall apart. I mean, it's so much of it is just them and the various demons that they they have to face. Um, Different demons and obviously a very different um, piece, but um, 
but I was so impressed with Essie Davis and the kid, mm-hmm. honestly, and their relationship back and forth because it's not – it couldn't have been an easy shoot for them. Um, and and I, I believed them as related. I believed how tired she was um, and uh, that there was a monster in the house, I guess. One of the things I liked about this movie is that – and I agree with you. This is a – this is not – I did not enjoy the experience of watching this movie. <laughs> um, I didn't probably hate that mu- part as much as you did, uh, but it's not what I'm going to pop in on, on the rig. Um, one of the things th- that that makes me think of uh, that I enjoyed a lot is that the movie seemed to tap into some very unpleasant, uncomfortable realities about um, parenting and there may be other relationships in life that that are that are similar, um, that, that put similar strains on on people's uh, sanity. But there's something about this, the, you know, this is a very particular case where this woman has been a single mom from the the birth of her child, and is just at loose ends and uh, and unable to sort of understand or communicate to him, and how frustrating that is, and how he's doing things she just can't understand why he can't just not hurt people. <laughs> I did, and I, I did have that. This is, of course, a very extreme case, right? There is uh, there is something we learned very, very wrong, multiple things. But, um, but early on with the kid that it appears to just be acting out, I did think to myself because I um, – if you've listened to Waitress, you know I have no children. <laughs> um, I have a dog who's perfect. So, you know, that puts me in a different category. Um, but I don't know. Like, what do you do when your kid is the asshole? Like – I don't I I'm, I feel currently not equipped to handle that. And this is, of course, a very extreme version of that. But I feel like likely every parent has a moment where they're like, oh, man, my kid's in the wrong. How do I move through this? I don't know, though. Yeah. And the other thing is that, you know, I, so I do have children, as people listen to the podcast will know. And I have a spouse who is with whom I, you know, parent the children together. And so there are times brag. <laughs> there, there are times when you need a break. You just mm. can't be around the kids again <laughs> for a little bit because a you're just you're you're just not sort of you're not you're becoming untethered to your own sanity. You need to hide in one of their rooms and podcasts, yeah, for instance. And so you know, I, I am in a, the lucky position of having another parent in the house that I can tag team with, and. Amelia doesn't have that. She has a, a a friend. She calls her aunt. I got the sense she was just a friend, though, not a sister. Was the woman who had the other oh, the I, daughter? I guess I took aunt for serious. Oh, but, okay. Uh, Maybe either, so. either way. Yeah. Anyway, but so, but she has no uh, at home. It's just her. So she is on duty with this child all the time. And the times when I have been on duty for long periods of time with my children, I, I do get. Again, this is an extreme. I'm not. Um, I, 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 I hope I've not sunk to the depths that Amelia does. But there is some truth to that idea of I think I'm going crazy. I they, they will not listen to me. There's, there's just there's something in there that this movie um, sort of physicalizes that terror in a way that I thought was very effective. And it reminded me of uh, my early childhood when I was sedated by my parents. <laughs> but that's good. Don't worry, Mom. I'll explain. It was because I got very carsick as a young child. Very carsick. <laughs> and so, as the other person in the back seat with you, I can attest. Very carsick. So there was some cough syrup, um, and I still I maintain it's a good idea for kids on planes. Just again for our Twitter friends um, who aren't my friends anymore, is to date your children. Um, 
Uh, okay, so let's talk about that um, because it's uh, this is a horror movie, but right, it's an allegory about grief and things. So in this case, it's a literal monster. But if you, I, I can, I can so see that situation of um, being so excited to grow your family, and then the day that your family grows, it also shrinks, mm-hmm. and that how would you find the space to deal with that when you have then a kid. Like it, it does make sense to me that um, all that would be bubbling up, if you will, not necessarily in the form of a demon from a children's book, but in some way much later, like even if the kid behaved himself, there would, I think there would still be some, you know, uh, I don't know if resentment is right. The word I want to be careful here because I do not have. No, I think resentment. uh, No, that's fine. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's something of if if this hadn't happened, that wouldn't have happened. Kind of thing that would be very hard to confront. And so I, I, you know, this is her being forced, them really being forced to confront that. And um, and I, I thought it was very interesting when the my interpretation again. I did walk out of the room several times, but when the the demons sort of possessed her and overtook her, the things that she said to him, the, to the child, that arguably were true. Not, I don't know that she needed to say them to him. I think she could have said them to a professional in another setting or <laughs> worked through it. But like in that sense, it was it was a cleansing. It just happened to include. Knife play and a dog dying. <laughs> yeah, and it's what's interesting is that this is a movie, and I didn't think about this until I was reading about it after watching it. There is not a lot of bloodshed in this movie. Mm. There is not a lot of physical, well, there's physical violence, but there's not threat. Yeah, a lot of menace, a lot of a lot of terror, a lot of yeah. deep, deep terror. And I think one of the things that makes it feel feel so disturbing is that it was, it was just what you're saying that, that there's such truth to the resentment and the pain that they are both experiencing. And the, and the fact it's so specific to them, but in doing that, it makes it very, it makes it more universal, I think. And that, and that it's it, the kind of pain that we often feel guilty for feeling. And I think that because it's unleashed by this demon in this movie, it allows it to sort of be talked about by the story in story terms. But that's, I think, for me anyway, what makes it so disturbing is not a lot of violence, not a lot of bloodshed. But but that sense of like the, the the pain is very real, which makes the terror even scarier. I agree. I was terrorized by this film. <laughs> um, I I wonder if this is an answerable question, and if not, you just rip it right out in your editing. Um, this is episode twenty three. Um, we've uh, done movies from different genres and movies with uh, various genders: writing, directing, etc. How do you think this movie would be different? If it was written and or directed by a man versus a woman. That's such a good question. And of course, we, there's no way. Or it, someone who identifies in a non-binary right. situation. Mm-hmm. I, I it's, it's a great question and obviously one that we sort of – you can't really come to a definitive answer. But having watched other psychological horror movies, it seems to me that this movie is sort of built from the inside out. That this movie – starts with the pain and the psychological 
truth underneath these horrible things people are going to say to one another. It reminds me in some ways of Rosemary's Baby, a movie we will not be doing on this podcast, um, given the the, the I don't want to say parentage of the movie, given the authorship of the movie. Uh, Agreed. But a movie that I admire the making of and have for a long time. As I've watched more psychological horror movies made by women, I have found that film to be less and less satisfying because it feels to me very much like a man's idea of what it must be like for a woman to go through pregnancy and and feel like this child is the a demon inside her. This to me feels like the story of a woman who has had a child and wrestled with the demons inside herself and then turned that into a story. Uh, that was like – and I we did not rehearse that. No, that was the best answer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I have not watched nearly as many psychological thrillers <laughs> <laughs> nor, nor, nor will she. Nor will I. But um, I, um, we talked a lot in, in my household um, with uh, Josh from our uh, Frozen episode about the end because that was the only part that he remembered. <laughs> so he was. Did he watch it with you? Yes, okay. he was as helpful as he could be with the rest of it, but had forgotten the many things that would literally be the worst thing for me to watch. Um, but I wonder how the ending would be different. I feel there would be some sort of grand vanquishing mm. rather than this, um, like I said before, learning to move through. Not you can't jump over it, you can't jump around it. You gotta, um, you gotta go through it. And and if this monster is a personification of this grief and this pain, it doesn't just go away because you see a trauma therapist once or talk about it finally or you know whatever whatever you do in a non mis- uh, non fanciful non supernatural sense um so that while the ending was real weird and left me very unsettled it was also i think satisfying is a great word because it's like okay well if this is what this movie is about then yeah you're gonna the if the best you can do is keep the demons in the basement, but you're addressing them every day, that's great work. And, you know, I, I do work sometimes with um, folks who have experienced trauma, partly just because we all have. But but that's, I mean, we, we, I talk a lot to folks about, you know, I'm so sorry that you have this work to do, but you have this work to do. And and if you're able, let's do some of it now because it's it's not going to just disappear. It's, it's going to fall into the folds of your brain and then pop out at another time and this so in that sense fine <laughs> <sighs> it's a good movie i just don't want to watch it no again. <laughs> that's totally that's totally fair i, I think and i think the, that that the idea that the um their pain will never leave them i mean it's never it's not like the you know father's going to come back and that's something that i think is uh again very i keep coming about this this idea of truth that there's a truth to this movie that they have to incorporate this pain into their lives and you know nur- not nourish is not quite the right word although she does feed it like mm-hmm. she's feeding this thing but they have to incorporate it into their lives and mm-hmm. learn to live with the pain and that it gets easier over time as long as they're not sort of fighting it or pretending it doesn't exist there's something you know yeah uh, it's a different kind of satisfaction i think I agree. And then just to add um, that they then I felt a sense of um, coming to be on the same team. Mm, Um, Yeah, good call. Because even before we had the actual um, manifestation of the Babadook, there were there was a lot of tension between them. And you knew something traumatic had happened, but you didn't quite know. and, And I felt the extreme fatigue of Essie Davis and just and 
even without the the loss of the father and the and the car crash, absolutely she should be that tired from being the right all the only caregiver and the only breadwinner and all the errs that she has. Um, but but they're just at odds. They didn't understand. I didn't. I think they weren't understanding each other's pain because they both have it and. Very different ways. I mean, I can't imagine from the, on the other side, because I, I am a child of parents, um, coming into a world as the, like such a blessing and a burden at the same time and what that does to a tiny human because we, you know, we absorb all that as well. Um, so I, I think through this supernatural experience, they come to be on the same team. And that's huge and I think so important for um, households when they're able to, you know, when all else fails, we are at least on the same team. That's so well said. I had a note 33 minutes. I didn't take many notes in this movie, but 33 minutes in the movie, I, I, I had no, she seemed so strung out. The, the Amelia did. And it felt like it was the climax. Like any other movie, mm-hmm. this would be as strung out as someone gets as tight. not, not strung out in terms of drugs, but like just, at the end of a rope and just completely exhausted and not making any sense and the world's kind of falling apart and it, the movie's so subjective to that in this movie you, as you say you say you really feel that and so I looked at my at my watch and it had been 33 minutes I was a third into the movie and I thought oh where is there for her to go in this movie and she does this central performance as you've alluded to is so so good you you and 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 unpleasant mm-hmm. uh and and brave in that way we've, as we've talked about before about char- people who play characters who are you know not likable in any kind of tr- traditional sense and she does have to say these terrible painful things to her son and 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 um uh i, I don't know there in, in also though there's some very, very beautiful moments there's a, a moment where she thinks she's vanquished the babadook and it, it reprises a shot that we've seen in the movie before, which is the main character close to the camera falling down into bed and land a slow motion shot. She floats, 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 floats down and then lands in bed. And there's one where, where as I say, she she, we, she thinks she's vanquished this this monster and her, the smile on her face as she's going to sleep. I think she's drugged her son at this point. Like he's got sedatives. He's going to sleep and she falls, 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 falls and lands in bed. just the the other because the other times we do it. We see it. She's in much, much greater distress at those moments. Anyway, the camera work in this movie, as paired with her performance, I think is is truly, truly extraordinary. And I, I can't wait to see more of what Jennifer Kent makes. Yeah, the c- camera is a is a great um, point to make. I thought from the first scene when it it's that first um, time you see the falling, yeah, um, I thought it was going to make me sick. And it didn't. Um, it might today. If Tobin didn't write many notes, I can't read my notes. So <laughs> we're just piecing it together. Um, but but it didn't. And sometimes when a content is so riveting, it can override my motion sickness. But I think in this case, it it would. It wasn't something that would make me sick. It was just it. Um, I don't know. Can I say it was super artsy? Like yeah, 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 totally artful. Yeah. And I think because it has that supernatural element, there was there could be a little bit more of not more creativity, but just kind of a, a little bit more um, rope for how to do things because there were going to be some elements that were um, not realistic, and so I I, I liked the um, variety that we got. Um, there also the sound work mm. oh my gosh because that i mean people again people who know me i have very <laughs> i have some heightened senses 
particularly smell and sound. God, I am a delicate flower. Which is good since you can't see right now. I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, the sounds were just the scraping and the and the thing. I um, yeah. I mean, you know, I moved into a house a year and a half ago, and still sometimes like something will shift or settle or. I'll wake up and think, what is that? And like, oh, it's just a dishwasher. But so that resonated with me in this beautiful old creepy house. And I remarked because if those who I don't know, no one cares on Twitter, but those who see me on Twitter know that I agreed to watch the first 40 minutes of a horror movie a couple months ago. We watched Insidious and I just left halfway through. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, it's the same house. <laughs> it really was haunted. But yeah, great housework. I had a, my note about the house was that I wonder if the Babadook wouldn't come around as much if there was more art on the walls, <laughs> because there are a lot of bare walls in this in this yeah. house. Right, and we I guess we don't know, but in my mind I had sort of created that they had perhaps moved there in anticipation of this family, and then birth and tragedy at the same time. You just don't you haven't decorated. I mean, when when and how would she have, have decorated? It's true, and there's also a nice juxtaposition to the basement where all the husband's stuff is, which is full of stuff. It's all full of, of you know, clothes and pictures and, and violin and all this, the, the, the stuff of the husband, of the father. Uh, and, and so it's a nice juxtaposition between how spare uh, and stark some of the walls are, are upstairs and, the, and sort of how cluttered that is. And, and it's sometimes – I don't want to say warm because it's not really that it's warm, but it's – it's familiar. Yeah, familiar. Right, right. And just for my objectification moment of the podcast, um, what a handsome man. Oh, interesting. I, I did not notice. Oh, I don't know how you didn't. Okay, very sorry. handsome. But I, I, I think and not only am I just objectifying him as a very handsome man, but I think there is, um, again, going back to um, the kind of the liberties taken with the art because we know him only as memory and fantasy and and a little bit through the demon trying to like come lure, to me yeah. lure thank you i was making a hand motion to I, saw, lure. I, was, I was interpreting the hand um that he gets to be the idealized version of himself where she is this very very real very very tired and so i i don't you know i don't know if walking down the street he would strike you but in this he was a vision Literally and objectifying him in a way. Yeah, I love that. That's that because that combines both the ideas of of artfulness. I was thinking of both in terms of the beauty of the movie and its and the way it was made, but also like the artifice, the fact that it is deliberately non real in 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 some ways. Um, I think that's very good. That's, I like that take. I wonder if a um, a different person at the helm would start it with the crash too, where we would see him and we would see them. We would sit a little bit in the in the actual act of the car crash. You know, we, we feel it from her. We, we see her kind of dream of it. Yes. But we don't see it happen. I wonder if it would right. start with, okay, let's go. Let's go to the right, hospital. Right, right, right. You know, and, and make right. us go through that where I think it's um, worse um, <laughs> for me to imagine it. Right, right. You know, it kind of, I don't know. I wonder too how much of that is. I, I think you're totally right. I think this is a smarter way to do it. I wonder how much of it's budget too. I mean, True. they're able to sort of. You know, do in three or four shots, a lot of slow motion at the beginning, and we get the whole idea without you know needing to sort of elaborate on it. But but you're totally right. Also, not having a lot of um, like dialogue around there, and we don't set that scene. It allows us to sort of learn that stuff as it goes along, which I think is part of the power of the of the movie. 
again, not a movie. If you're not into horror movies, that you should watch. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not suggesting no. that. But it's really, really well made. But are there other things people could see Essie Davis in? Well, I don't. Sorry, I, again, I'm asking the questions because I don't have the notes. Because <laughs> um, I think she was uh, just so. I mean, just so I know so she, good. She was in the White Princess. The the. Um, uh, White Queen uh, sequel. Um, I see that she was in uh, Assassin's Creed uh, and the girl with the with the pearl earring. Those are things that are popping out here. Looks like a lot of things in um, uh, in Australia. I have. Oh, she's in Game of Thrones. She's Lady Crane in Game of Thrones. Well, there you go. Yeah. So a lot of people will have seen her there. Um, I haven't watched the White Princess yet. I love the White Queen. The first the first um, s- season so uh i'm excited to see her there but i i i will now look look for her more Mm -hmm. readily um it's funny her glamour shots look very different from the from her sort of the persona in the movie oh you know i wonder if there's something else i wanted to ask you about is um how you think the fact that this movie is in both location and sort of provenance australian affects your viewing or the movie itself i did think about that um, I thought about that particularly with the bugs, because I feel like I don't know a lot about Australia, but um, <laughs> but I know what I like. <laughs> but I know that well, well, I don't know anything. I have heard that it is a a continent uh, that includes <laughs> dangerous animals and bugs. <laughs> <laughs> we just lost all our Australian listeners. <laughs> I didn't say they were bad. Uh, I just said it's you know there's just. Um, you know, some be, watch out for the venom and the poison and the whatever. So I thought that, um, you know, felt Australian <laughs> to me. <laughs> um, I, I, the, I don't know. I mean, it was all so stark. Like you think about her workplace, and then when she goes to the doctor, that it could have been a number of places. But, but I, I agree that it, it felt not, you know, USA to mm-hmm. me. Um. I did just, this is not answering your question. I want to hear what you have to say about Australia. But um, I did love the moment with the doctor when he was like, most people, you know, don't want the sedatives unless it's really bad. And she was just like, it is really bad. (laughs) And in that moment, I was glad that she said that. And I was glad that he gave them to her Mm -hmm. because she was stating her need and he was, you know, doing his best. I'm not necessarily advocating for drugging your children. (laughs) Yes, you are. Uh, (laughs) But... But it's but because at that point she still she didn't believe that there was anything actually mm-hmm. um, supernaturally wrong, and so she thought if we can get through this, we'll get through this. Um, but what what were your Australian thoughts? Oh, only that it felt there, there's a, um, a a rawness to the and a and a um, visceral's word I use too much, but there's a. The, the grime feels grimier and the um the 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 scabs feel you know like looser and and the, the bug thing i i do i agree not that i'm saying that australia is infested with with no. killer killer bugs but it but it feels like there's there's a there is a um you know i think about other australian movies that i really like um the proposition or picnic hanging rock or there are these movies that that go to dark places all the way um, but also find some kind oh, but, but but remain sort of um, psychologically true. It's not just darkness for darkness's sake. It's not, it doesn't feel show offy. It feels like plumbing the depths in some way that feels I don't, a little more, it feels common to a lot of these Australian movies that I um, that I admire. 
What else do you want to talk about? <laughs> well, I, uh, I, I don't, I don't, I, my notes, I'm done with my notes. Those were all my notes. <laughs> it's Christmas episode. It's Christmas. I know. Seriously. Um, so, um, in lieu of a game, I have a question. Oh, okay. Great. So part of it that kept sticking for me, um, we were a household of books. You and your current um, family are a household of books. Uh, so for, it was also kind of like insult to injury that it was a children's <laughs> yes, book that yes. was, I don't like the haunting them to start with. Um, so my question is, what book from your childhood would haunt you in this way? What is uh, the monster hidden in the child's book from your perspective? As I think about this, I will I will tell a little story. Oh God, I just spit on you. I'm sorry. This is what happens when in the same room. Uh, so when so yes, our um, uh, mother was an elementary school teacher and um, very into children's literature. So we had a lot of as I said, we had a lot of books. There's one that we had that um, involved uh, a, a witch that lives in the woods in a house built on chickens' feet, and the woman had metal teeth and she liked to eat children. And and the story is actually about this girl who outsmarts her and is is kind to the other uh, creatures and things in her life to get away. Do you want to adapt that? Like TM, TM. <laughs> yeah. So we'll develop that. Great idea. Okay, good, good. Um, so so what – and my son, when he was in preschool, liked to take books to school. And so um, the teachers thought that was fine. So we would send books to school. Well, Halloween comes around, and, and his grandmother had been reading him this this book of, with the woman with the metal teeth who liked to eat children. And so we sent that book. He wanted to take that book to school. So without really thinking, I sent it to school. Well, it came home that night with a note on it saying, please don't ever bring this book back to school. This is scaring the other children. <laughs> and then in retrospect, I realized, yes, that's a very, very particular thing. Um, but, you know, there is something to that. I had recurring nightmares as a child of, uh, of a, um, a, a, not a woman I think I'd ever met. I think a woman that, that was friends with our mother that I um, mem- uh, uh, um, uh, nightmares that she w- would eat me. She would. Bite, take bites out of my arms and stuff. It was terrifying. Um, and I think it, maybe it came from that book. Uh, so maybe that book would, I think that book might um, might be the one that would haunt me, the woman with the metal teeth who likes to eat children. Yeah. What about you? Do you have that a, what about you? very scary. Um, mine is, um, and you know, mom is the best. She is, she is, <laughs> yes. And, and I, I'm better as a person for having read that book a lot as a child, I think. But Absolutely, and so many good. I mean, it is Christmas season, so if you haven't read the Christmas Cookie Sprinkle Snatcher, that uh, is my favorite yeah. Christmas book. Um, but I think there was an ill-timed um, book on tape oh, no. of the Velveteen Rabbit <gasps> when I was sick. Mm. So to me, because it is about people – Young people with scarlet Scarlet fever. fever, Right, yeah. So listening to it while I was sick, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't hold, I had a rabbit, like I couldn't hold it. I had to like put it away. And I just, even just saying the words Velveteen Rabbit make me feel real clammy Mm. and like I might suddenly die. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's one of those classics that for some people is so beautiful. And I just, can't i just need to step away but also i am a bit of hypochondriac so i think it was doomed from the start but i remember being sick and and 
you know, whoever is saying, oh, let's listen to this. Like, as if, oh, you have a fever? That reminds me. How about the Velveteen Rabbit? Remember before antibiotics? <laughs> so that one, that one for me, I mean, um, I don't know that, um, I don't know that it would haunt me, but um, I found um, Papa Bear and the Berenstain Bears pretty, pretty scary. Really? Like, if you look at his hands. Yeah, that's true. He's pretty claw-like. That's but, claws. Yeah, um, you're right. It's true. That's true. But in any case, um, so please, friends, friends, former, <laughs> former friends, friends on Twitter, <laughs> um, think back. Tell us what um, childhood um, book or book character would be your Ababadook. Tobin. Aislinn. It's now time um, for us to talk about this movie and um, give our final sort of recommendation. Is this progressive or regressive? Is this movie a step forward or a step back for fearless women in front of and behind the camera? I, th- when I say progressive. I think it's def- a, th- a step forward for all the reasons we've said. Uh, the psychological truth of the story, the strong direction, the amazing um, lead performance. Uh, even if it's a movie that you don't watch or don't want to watch or stay away far away from, I'm, I'm, I think we can all applaud uh, that it was made. Aizen, what, what about you? Yeah, I mean, applauding that it was made is going to be hard for me, not going to lie. <laughs> um, but I think like a, a knowing nod is about all I can do. Um, But again, no disrespect. Um, I do think it was beautifully, beautifully made and and fantastically portrayed, um, particularly by Essie Davis and and the young gentleman who played her son, but also the friend. I got, I felt, you know, I understood not wanting her kid around their kid and like, I I got all that. So, um, so yeah. And I think it's unfortunate that I still feel like saying in the last couple of years that Jennifer, Jennifer, Jennifer Kent, Kent got this made is amazing that it is. I don't, I don't know a lot about horror. Tell me that it is the story of a mother it might not be a, a pitch that, mm-hmm. you know, goes well everywhere. Um, so, so it's frustrates me to say it's, it's fantastic that it was made, but I, I do think um, good, good for them for making it and making it so well. Mm-hmm. It is just, the polar opposite of my taste. <laughs> and that's not its fault. That's my fault. Right? That one's on me. That's nobody's fault. Just, yeah, it's just not just not your taste. Not it's taste. just not your taste. So, Twitter in the future, just to be very, very clear, I don't watch movies where dogs die. <laughs> and let me emphasize where dogs are killed. Yes, yes. yes. Right? Yes. I don't do that. I will quit this podcast <laughs> if you do this to me again any of you but please tell your friends keep listening <laughs> and and in fact become a member over at patreon because <laughs> our members at a certain level get to vote on movies we're, we're not going to have twitter polls anymore <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna let our members vote and uh we got a vote we've got a vote coming up so uh keep your eyes out for that and join uh join our patreon community so you can uh, vote for movies where dogs don't die Amen. What are we going to talk about next, Tobin? Well, we're going to do a 180-degree turn, and we're going to do Wayne's World next. 
Now, just to be clear, yes. I recently said that this film was the opposite of my taste. And then if Wayne's World is 180 degrees, <laughs> then you've just characterized it as exactly my taste. Well, yes. I'm not saying no, but I'm not. Mamma mia, I'm not saying no, but I'm not saying yes yet. So uh-huh. tune in in two weeks to see, is it really my exact Taste. As we were looking up uh, um, movies to do, you know, almost everyone that came up on as you look up lists of, of you know, well-known movies directed by women were ones that I knew had been directed by women. Wayne's World, I did not know was directed know. by a woman. So uh, I'm excited to uh, take another look at it. It's been a long time. It has been a long time. It. We might get some new uh, some new family members <laughs> listening to our podcast. Um, just, let's just name her. Who directed Wayne's World? Penelope Spheris directed it. We're going to uh, watch Penelope Spheris's Wayne's World in two weeks on January 8th. So check back for that. Aislinn, uh, can people still find you on Twitter or are you are you boycotting us for a while? Well, right this second, I cannot see well enough to read Twitter. Um, but I would love it if when I came back, um, folks would give me their sincerest apologies. <laughs> That's what I would like. And if they want to come uh, apologize to you on Twitter, where can they find ah, you? Ah, yes. At SassyNerdMT, please. How about you, Tobe? You can find me at Tobin Addington on Twitter, and you can find us on Twitter at contenders underscore pod or on Patreon at thecontenderspod.com. Special thanks to our members who've joined at the marquee level or above, Carly B., Sean Flynn, and Jeff Addington. Become a member today and connect with other listeners and support our show and vote on polls in the future. I thought because it's Christmas, we could say something nice about all of our marquee or above members. Okay. Yes, please. Okay. Um, so um, Carly B. is my favorite person uh, on Twitter who I've never met. Um, I, I, she was the, I think the first person who I didn't know who interacted with us yeah. and that was so exciting. So thank you so much, Carly. Really appreciate that. Um, do you want me to do all yeah, of Yeah, okay. you're on a okay. roll here. <laughs> um, Sean Flynn is a very dear friend of ours yes. and is the person that I, um, mentally l- look to when someone talks about people like growing up and becoming even more awesome than they were in their mm, youth. Mm, mm. And I feel like Sean has made some strong choices. <laughs> and and I love it. And it's so fun to watch. And I'm so glad that he's um, a listener and a supporter. One of his strongest uh, uh, features is uh, donating to our Patreon. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Well, yes, it is. <laughs> um, and then, I mean, Jeff Addington. I mean, Jeff Addington. There's so many things to say. Can I say this? Awesome dad. Awesome dad. But just, like, amazing human man. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And I know that's broad, but... I don't say that about very many <laughs> human men. Or humans at all. Very true. Uh, I, right now, I do hate most people. Um, but yeah, real strong, strong, good human man. So thank you all um, again. Merry yeah. Christmas. And if you want to hear Jeff Addington's episode, uh, go back and listen to our episode of um, Hidden Figures, where Jeff Addington was our guest. And explains things about pants. <laughs> oh, dear. We here at The Contenders are proud members of the Cage Club Podcast Network. You can explore all their great shows at cageclub.me. And you can keep tabs on all the Cage Club happenings on Twitter at cageclubpod. As always, thank you so much for listening. Happy holidays. I'm Isla Addington. I am Tobin Addington, and we'll see you next time on The Contenders. Oh, oh, oh.